Amen. The children's discipleship class can line up at the door. Line up at the door. You got one runner. And the last one out, if you'd close that door behind you, that'd be fantastic. You may be seated. All right. Amen. We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 13. It should be a fairly familiar portion of Scripture here tonight. Uh, We've been there for about three weeks now. And so tonight we're going to continue our series, uh, Be Ye Holy. Uh, You can call this part three. Uh, We're going to primarily address media tonight. Everybody say media. It is important. It is important to God that we be holy. Uh, It is important to, to us that we be holy. I want to be like the God that saved me. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, reading this familiar portion of Scripture, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is, it is not something that's going to happen by accident. You're not going to, to roll out of bed tomorrow morning and all of a sudden your mind is just disciplined and ordered and structured and everything's perfect and A-OK. But you are to gird up the loins of your mind. That is to prepare yourself for movement and prepare yourself for work. Be sober. As obedient children, verse 14, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Uh, when, When Jesus saved us, when he purchased us with his blood, there is an expectation of change and transformation inside of us. We are not to be fashioned after our former lusts, which we did when we were ignorant. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Uh, We could pause there for a second. It is important that we remember we are pilgrims on this earth. a, A man is blessed if he lives 70 years. He's very blessed to live 80 years. But all of those years, though they may seem long now, those years just are a vapor. They're here one moment, they're gone. They are just, they disappear. Those those years that we live, we are just a pilgrim in this earth. We are not here forever. We are hoping, we are looking for a heavenly home. He says in verse 18, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Amen. So the command, as before, it still is, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
Tonight, as I mentioned already, we're going to address media, uh, going to talk uh, primarily about that, though, though it is going to flow over to some other areas. Uh, by, by way of review, can somebody tell me, when, when we're referring to God, what is holy? Sure. Uh, when, when we're talking about humanity, uh, to be holy is to conform to the character and nature of God. I strive to love what he loves. I hate what he hates. Think how he thinks. Speak how he would speak. Behave how Jesus Christ would behave. When we're using the word holy in reference to God, it is a reference to his perfection. It is a reference to his purity. He is flawless. He is without fault and without error. There is no sin in God. He is entirely pure and perfect. There are two elements to holiness. Does anybody remember what those two elements are? Separation from the world and dedication or consecration unto God. And it's important that both of these elements are in play. And these elements are empowered by the other. You, can, you could pray until the teeth fall out of your mouth. You could fast until your belly button falls off. But if you refuse to separate from the world and you fill your life with worldly influences, you are stunting your spiritual growth and you're putting up a roadblock between relationship with you and God. Likewise, you could never watch any, any evil thing. You could avoid all horrible music. You could never set foot in a bar or never taste a drop of alcohol. But if you don't talk to the Lord and you don't have a relationship with him, if your life isn't dedicated to his service, you risk standing in front of him someday and hearing, I never knew you. But if you'll combine those two elements, you can worship the Lord in the beauty of of holiness. All right. Also, it's important that we remember we cannot make ourselves holy. We are partakers of his holiness. That's Hebrews 10 and 16. Holiness involves a pursuit of God. It is not an automatic end state result. We have to continually yield to the working of his spirit inside of us. And by the way, he gave us his Holy Spirit to empower us, to lead us, to guide us, and to teach us. The law says, or our flesh says, can I do this and still go to heaven? But love says, is this pleasing to Jesus Christ? And that's an important question that I hope you've been asking yourself. And I hope that you've been using to structure your, uh, your daily life. Is this pleasing to Jesus? If I'm going to engage in this activity, is it right in the sight of God? I want to please him. I, I, I genuinely have a desire in my heart to please God. I want to stand in front of him someday and hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm not living to hear those words just from your lips, and I may never hear them from your lips, but I want to hear them from the lips of a holy God. Amen. So let's talk media. Let's talk 
eyes and ears. We live in a rapidly changing digital world. I am not here tonight to teach or preach against technology. That would be somewhat foolish, uh, seeing as I'm using an iPad, a microphone, you're looking at a screen over my head right now. So technology itself, technology and isolation is not the issue. We, we might use some specific titles tonight, but lists are unadvisable. And trying to corner and trying to say, do this, don't do that, use this, don't use that. That's, that's almost impossible to, to attempt in this rapidly changing landscape of technology. We could, we could draw a hard line and say, no, you can't use this website. But human nature would just find an alternative. Oh, you, you, no social media or no, no moving pictures. Human nature would find an alternative. And so tonight, I believe we can look into the perfect word of God and establish some principles that would guide us in our pursuit of holiness. Some principles that will help us to set no wicked thing before our eye and allow no evil thing to come through our ears because, again, I want my life to be pleasing to Jesus Christ. Technology can be an incredible tool, and it makes a terrible toy. It's much like a hammer in that regard. A hammer is an incredible tool. You could build great, great edifices, to use one of Bishop's favorite words, with a hammer, a simple hammer, or you could deconstruct elaborate places with a simple hammer. You can use a hammer, you flip it around, you pull a nail. If you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You can begin to do incredible things with the tool of a hammer. But you wouldn't give a hammer to your child for a toy. Not a real hammer anyways. You'd be nuts if you handed your, your, my two-year-old a 16-ounce framing hammer and said, hey, I'm busy doing the dishes right now. Entertain yourself with this. That, that would be crazy. And so it is with technology. It is an incredible tool. It is a terrible toy. Technology can be used for great good. Technology can be used to reach the masses with the gospel of Jesus Christ like never before. In fact, we're utilizing it right now to take this word that is being limited to this room and we're launching it out into cyberspace and somebody anywhere on this planet through the miracle of technology is able to click on a link and sitting in the Philippines, they're able to listen to what you're listening to right now. But when you allow technology to step solely into that place or when you allow it to step even at all into that place of providing you with your entertainment, you're, you're treading on a dangerous piece of ground. It's a terrible toy. One of the most impactful sermons of my life, and unfortunately I can't even remember who preached it, but maybe that's even, even for the better. I remember the word. I don't remember the messenger. 
Uh, but it was at North Dakota family camp, and he preached a message. Uh, he preached the story of Samson from the viewpoint of the Philistines. And every battle, every conflict that they had fought with Samson, it, it, it def- the, he defeated them, he took them down, he wiped them out by the power of God, and finally they gained the victory over him, and they put him in the grindhouse. And he likened it to our relationship with technology. If you're not intentional about your use of media, media will seep its way into your life to an ever greater degree. If you're not intentional about setting limits on what you watch, what you listen to, how much you watch, how much you listen to, it will encroach ever more into your life. And so the Philistines had finally gained the victory over Samson. And for an undisclosed period of time, he was in the grindhouse with his eyes put out, standing between two oxen, grinding grain. But the day came when the Philistines thought, hey, we're going to take this tool out of the shed and we're going to bring him out and make him our toy. He's going to be our entertainment. He's going to entertain us. And it was in that, when they moved him from tool to toy, that Samson slew more Philistines than he'd ever slew in his life. Technology has to be brought under control by the power of the Spirit, and we have to allow the Holy Ghost to to overrule our flesh's desire for the influence of media in our life. I'm just going to say amen right there. Okay. Again, entertainment isn't inherently bad. You've heard it before, and I'll say it again, as the active move of the Holy Ghost in your life decreases, your need for entertainment increases. You can see this in the spiritual realm. As a church begins to dry up, as the active move of God in a service begins to wind down, mankind seeks for other ways to recapture that glory. Turn the music louder. Get a fog machine. I wish you would have been in the department head meeting. We had a a great discussion about a fog machine. We're not adding a fog machine. Nobody worry. We're not doing it. Uh, It's not going to happen. But um, if there's ever any fog, it's just a power strip lighting on fire. That you actually should be worried about. We, We need to worry about that. But If it were to happen, it's not going to happen in Jesus' name. All right, so we don't want to be an entertainment-driven society, an entertainment-driven people, or an entertainment-driven church. Now, I'm thankful for an anointed, I'm thankful for a talented music team. Again, it's always awkward for me to stand up here and say that, but would would you please allow me to compliment the others on the team. We, we have some incredible piano players, incredible drum players, bassists, vocalists, and they, they come every week and put effort and energy into it, but it's not for your entertainment. It's for the glory of God. If we ever get to a place where it just becomes entertainment-driven and we're only wanting the beat and we're always looking for a new song, we'll, we'll clear the platform. We'll get rid of the instruments. We'll go back to songbooks. We'll, we'll sing a cappella if we need to. If we have to shut down entertainment to get a vibrant move of the Spirit, we will do it. Because church is not about entertainment. 
All right, so you have two main sources of input for your heart, your mind. You'll hear me use uh, mind and heart in an overlapping way tonight because in Hebrew Scripture, they're, they're essentially synonymous. They're, they overlap quite a bit. Um, but you have two main sources of input. And again, we're talking about being holy, being pure, conforming to the image of God, being transformed into his likeness. And your two main sources of input for your, your mind, for your heart, are your eyes and your ears. A medium is a means by which something is communicated or expressed. Uh, telephone is a medium. Radio is a medium. Television is a medium. Uh, telegram. Anybody, I don't know if that even still exists. It's a medium. Uh, TikTok is a medium, a, a way for information to be shared or expressed. All right. Uh, there are also some other definitions of the word medium. A medium is somebody that, that proclaims uh, the ability to be able to communicate with the dead or with the spirit world. Interestingly enough, a medium would call that channeling a spirit. Uh, so a medium, somebody that, that believes themselves to have a connection with uh, the dead or the ability to call up the dead, and I, I believe that they have a legitimate connection with the spirit world. Uh, unfortunately, it's not the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are demonic forces at play. A medium will channel a spirit into an atmosphere. It's almost as if these words are uh, there by coincidence. Media is simply the plural of medium. Media is referring to all channels of information from uh, whatever source that are being brought to us. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22 says this, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. What's he telling us? He's letting us know that what we are setting in front of our eyes has an incredible ability to shape our entire body. And if we're setting positive, holy, wholesome, godly things in front of our eyes, then this body will be full of the light of Jesus Christ. But if my eye is viewing evil things, this body will be full of darkness. It will be full of evil. And if I allow my mind and I allow my heart to be filled with evil, how great it's going to be. Not great like, woo, that's so awesome. How great, how horrible, how large that's going to be. A couple of verses, and we'll read through them fairly quickly here, just to establish the relationship of the eyes with the heart, the relationship of what you see with your inner man. In Job chapter 31 and verse 1, he says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? In the same chapter, in verses 6 and 7, Job proclaims, Let me be weighed in an even balance 
that God may know mine integrity. If my step hath turned out of the way, and mine heart walked after my eyes, and if any blot hath cleaved to my hands. Lamentations 3 and 51 says this, Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of the daughters of my city. Everybody say, my eye affects my heart. My eye affects my heart. My heart walks after my eye. We can demonstrate this from the very beginning of sinful humanity. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5, Satan in the form of the serpent is speaking to Eve. And he's given her the full court press. She's hearing. And we see in verse 6, we'll start in verse 5, but we see how the eye begins to play a role in this. For God doth know, this is, uh, this is the serpent speaking now, that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit of it, ate it and gave it to her husband with her, and he also did eat. So it was, it was not just the ears, but when Eve laid eyes on that tree, and she saw the tree, and she saw that it was a good-looking tree, it would have been a lot easier if God had just made the tree of knowledge and good and evil like the ugliest tree you've ever seen, like this hideous horrific thing where all of the fruit was rotten and it was just ugly. Wouldn't that have been a lot easier? It'd be a lot easier in our life if we could, if Satan just portrayed himself real. Like if sin appeared to be sin right at the outset. But he doesn't do that. He's a lot more subtle than that. If, if he came to you and he, he was just speaking in this deep voice and like tempting you to do something, you would know, okay, that's the voice of the devil. I'm going to get away from that. You know what I'm talking about? So all of a sudden, if you're hearing like, do it, go ahead, pick up that, go rob that, go rob that bank. You'd be like, no, that, that, that's, that's a horrible voice. I'm getting away from that. But he's not that foolish. And so he's going to use subtlety. He's going to use logic. He's going to use your fleshly weakness against you. And so he helps Eve to see, look, this is a good-looking tree. It's pleasant to the eyes. And so Eve sees it, and she takes the fruit, and she eats of it. And the Bible says in verse 7, The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. It was seeing that pushed Adam and Eve over the edge. Laying eyes on the tree while being tempted pushed them over the edge, and now they're seeing things that they could never unsee. See, that's the, that's the strange thing about it, because in the moment of temptation, your flesh wants it so bad, but the moment you give in, it switches immediately to shame and regret. That's incredible how fast it's able just to flip like this different side of a coin. The tree looked great, but the moment that they took a bite of it and they saw now, wait, I'm, 
I am naked, I am open, I am ashamed. I guarantee that tree no longer looked as good as it looked before. The voice of the serpent didn't sound the same way that it did before. The psalmist in Psalm 101 and verse 3 declared this, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. See, if, if you're going to strive, if you're going to pursue after holiness, it has to be an intentional choice. I will, I purpose, I've made up my mind to set nothing wicked before my eyes. Why? Because I understand the relationship of my eyes with my heart. Mine eye affecteth my heart, my heart followeth after mine eye. And so like the writer in Psalms, I've made up my mind because I want to be like Jesus and I want my life to be pleasing to him, I've made up my mind. I'm not going to set any wicked thing before mine eyes. Adam and Eve were tempted by the proximity and the visibility of the tree. They could see it and it looked good for food. Now, there are several areas, and it probably differs for each of us, of temptation of the eye. There's violence. There's consumerism. There's covetousness fueled by the eye. My neighbor's got a nicer bass boat than I do. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I've got a 14-foot canoe with a really bad camo paint job. My neighbor has a far nicer boat than I do. And they're always going to have a nicer boat than I do unless the Lord gives me one. Uh, boats are a money pit. <laughs> There's two good days when you get a boat. The day you get the boat and the day you get rid of the boat. Everything else in between is just a money pit. All right, anyways. Uh, certainly there is, is the lust of the eyes, violence, the reading of gossip, uh, vulgar material, uh, nudity or, or carnal exposure. And the, the question has to be asked, why would we allow things that stir a carnal lust inside of us to entertain us? Why would we allow things that stir unholy, unrighteous desires in, in, inside of us to fill our time. You see, what you look at, what you watch, will become what your heart and mind dwell on. And so, yes, we have Christian liberty, but it would be very wise of somebody who is striving to be like Jesus, who, who takes this call to holiness seriously, to begin to set practical limits on what you allow in front of your eyes. Just like the psalmist said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. There are some locations that I will not go to because of what I'm going to see or what I'm going to hear. I don't care if South Fork has the best steak in town. I'm not going. I 
I don't know if they have the best steak in town. I've never heard. Nobody ever talks about the food. I'm not going because I'm not going to risk something being set in front of my eyes. You see, I, I, I want to be serious about what comes through my eyes because, again, it affects my heart. There are times, there are moments where there's accidental exposure. You ever see something you don't want to see? Yeah, absolutely. We live in a society that, that has realized that sex can sell anything. Almost anything can be sold. And so they'll plaster it all over billboards and they'll put it up. And you could just be driving down the highway and all of a sudden the message, the medium of a billboard is trying to channel to you a spirit of alcohol sold by this sultry half-clad woman or even less than half-clad. And it just comes at you. It bombards you, and you have to be intentional about setting guards and setting limits over your eyes. Now, as a sidebar, when, when something flashes in front of your eyes like that, it's not a sin for you to notice it. When you're driving down the interstate and there's this, this billboard and, and you see it and you're like, whoa, hey, it's not a sin for you to accidentally or unintentionally be exposed to this thing. But when you grab a hold of it and you latch onto it and you begin to think after it, you begin to desire it, then we begin to develop a problem. We can see this, this similar thing in the story of David and Bathsheba. David is walking upon the roof of his house in the evening time. Bathsheba is on the roof of her house. It seems like a strange place to bathe. Maybe it was a cultural thing. I don't know. But uh, let's just, we, we can make some limits, okay? Don't bathe on the roof of your house. All right? Is that fair? Is that within the realm of pastoral authority, okay? But, so there they are. Okay, David sees that. At that point in time, he is not sinning. But when David desires after her, and the language the Bible uses lets us know that he continues to look on her and allows a seed of lust to grow in his life, now we've crossed over into that realm. And lust, when it conceives, brings forth sin, and sin brings forth death. And so we have to take practical steps to limit what comes into our eye. We have to draw the line somewhere. Or the other option is to allow the floodgates of this world uninhibited access to funnel whatever they want in through the eye holes into our mind, into our heart. And so my wife and I have decided to place some limits in our life. During our marriage, we've never had a television in our home. Not only does this guard us from uh, the, the programming, the channels of this world that are trying to influence our, our home and our thought processes, it also saves us time. Time is valuable and Television is a great way to waste that. But we'd be kidding ourselves if we, if we thought that television was the only way to waste time. Anybody in here have a smartphone? Incredible possibility and potential for evil to flow through that device right to us. It's never been a device issue. It's always been a heart issue. But 
because I want to be intentional about protecting the heart on this internet accessible device and this internet accessible device and my laptop and every internet accessible device that I have, we have installed blocking and monitoring software. Why? Not just because I'm some sort of freak with a, an uncontrollable problem, but because uh, I don't want this world to have free reign and access to my life. I want there to be some sort of roadblock, some sort of barrier, some sort of gate uh, that I, not only would I have to try to ram into it, I would have to plow through it, and all of a sudden my wife's phone would start going off with all sorts of notifications and alarms. All of that is put there. Why? Because really this heart, which the Bible calls deceitful and desperately wicked, above everything, who can know it? This heart should not be allowed unfettered access to the evils of this world. Again, my heart follows my eyes. I want my heart to be a place where Jesus can live. I want my life to be a place where Jesus can take up residence. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Is that making sense? Is that sinking in? All right. Let's continue moving on. We could, we could be there a while. Hollywood and pop culture are incompatible with biblical Christianity. I find it foolish for us to be entertained by pop culture when pop culture is antithetical that to almost everything or virtually everything that Jesus stood for. Not only that, We've seen this demonstrated time and time again in our current culture. If they knew what you'd believed, they'd shun you from culture. Ironically, I've already canceled their culture. They don't have access to my life in the way that they desire. I don't want their voice to speak into my life. They can't cancel me. I've already canceled them. I'm not receiving their sources of information. Now, that doesn't mean that I, I never look at the news. That doesn't mean that I, ever, I never watch a YouTube video. That doesn't mean... It means that my mind is focused on a different voice. My mind is tuned to a different channel. And there are times in my life where I begin to allow technology to become too much of a toy and I begin to allow the eyes to be influenced by things that are not right and not pleasing and do you know what happens almost immediately every single time the Holy Spirit of God which dwells inside of me begins to stir and convict my heart see if if we'll allow him he'll guide us in this realm there are some tests that you can Apply, or there are some questions you can ask yourself in this realm. Because again, we're not about making lists. A list would be a good way for us to become legalist. Legal list. Uh, it would become a good way for us to become pharisaical and, and to try to corner the market. Do this, don't do this. Do, watch this, don't watch this. This is good, this is not good. That's not the goal. 
our culture is changing too rapidly for us to do. We'd have to put out annually like a, a new list. This is the 2024 list, no XYZ. Social media sites that haven't even been invented yet are going to be causing Christians problems in 2024. But there are questions that you can begin to ask yourself. The first question should probably be, does Scripture prohibit this? If Scripture just out and out says no, you don't even have to ask any more questions. It simply means no. Just stop. Another question, is this stirring temptation inside of me? When I watch this, what do I feel? Is it causing me to lust? Another question is this. Is my conscience convicted? Do I feel a check in my spirit? Another great question is, what is this glorifying? Again, it doesn't have to be violence or sexual lust. It could be consumerism. It could be unthankfulness. It could be a false religion. Is what I'm watching glorifying something that won't give glory to God? Another great question is, is this consuming too much of my time? I'm just like you. I love watching hunting videos as much as the next guy. His <laughs> uh, eyes glaze over. I'm telling you, that anticipation when that turkey finally steps out, like a literal turkey, and the hunter's able to just let fly with an arrow and the gobble, gobbler goes down, that's incredible. It's incredible. But if I watch 20 hours a day of this stuff, even though it may not be inherently evil, it has become a snare, it has become a trap to me, and it's taking too much of my attention and time. And finally, the all-important question is, is what I'm looking at pleasing to Jesus Christ? If you can't imagine Jesus looking over your shoulder and looking at what you're looking at, or if Jesus walked into the room and all of a sudden you would have had to try to hide it, That's a decent test for us. All right, let's talk about the ears. Psalm 78 and 1 says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Our ears were created to hear godly voices. Our ear was in, created to hear the voice of God. Sin entered in, and the voice of Satan entered in. The voice of flesh entered in. And so now we hear, we, we perceive of other voices. He that goeth about, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 19 says, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets, therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. 
gossip and impure words ought not find a home in our ears. We're after holiness. We're after the nature of God. The spirit-filled believer should not be a welcome recipient of somebody's gossip. The spirit-filled believer has their ears inclined to the words of the mouth of God. And so dirty jokes or coarse language, they're, they're not welcome here. Why? Because I don't want it getting through my ears and getting down into my heart. I want my ears to be attuned to the voice of God. It's impossible for us, as we talk about ears, that's a, that's a very, very brief moment about gossip, about tail-bearing, about cursing. It, we need to limit those things finding their way through our ears. But it's, it's hard for us to overstate the incredible power that music has. Humanity is deeply affected by music. Heaven right now has musicians who are praising God incredibly skillfully with all of their heart and all of their mind. Lucifer, your adversary, he, he understands the power of music. In Ezekiel 28, he's described as a beautiful creature created to bring worship before the throne of God. Uh, it is, is quite probable that the writer is describing uh, in the creation of his body were tabrets and pipes. It's, it's quite possible that not only was he good to look at, but he sounded pretty good as well. But he lost sight of the fact that he was not the object of worship. It's interesting how that's also a, a danger zone for musicians even within the church today. Music that glorifies God, especially that that's sung from a pure heart and a heart of worship, will attract the presence of the Lord. We are witness to that every single Sunday as we begin to lift up our hands and we begin to praise the Lord in song. Something incredible happens that we can never take for granted. God's presence is drawn, his attention. Yes, we understand that God is omnipresent, but he is able to focus himself in areas and places and in ways uh, that, that begin to demonstrate to us, okay, God's attention is here right now. And as music is lifted up and worship is given to God, God descends in this place. David implemented music in a very powerful way in worship during his kingship. In fact, uh, the, the, the Holy Ghost would inspire Amos to write about the tabernacle of David. There was an open access to the presence of God, and the Ark of the Covenant was surrounded by vibrant, heartfelt worship in voice and in instruments. There was, for, the, for really one of the first times in the presence of the Ark, there's this loud worship that's going on. But your enemy also understands the power of music. And if music, especially music that glorifies God, can attract the presence of a holy God, is it not possible then that music can bring other spirits, other presences? 
Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul writes this, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, There are those, there are denominations, there are religions that do not allow music at all in in worship of God. But we have clear New Testament commandment to sing, to, to bring these hymns, to sing from the heart to our Lord. But again, Satan understands the power of music. He understands the power of your ears. And so he utilizes these channels to try to implant his message into your heart. And serious filth flows out of recording studios. It flows out of YouTube stations. It flows through podcasts. And whatever format that you're receiving this message in, whatever medium that it's being channeled to us in, There is some incredible wickedness in this world that we have access to. There is a spirit behind it. Quite often that spirit glorifies sex, glorifies violence, drugs, drunkenness, fornication, partying, or even just the promotion of self. Even Christian rappers, which is a fun term, I enjoy it. Uh, Don't worry. I'm not against any genre of music. This is not a genre bashing time, okay? Uh, Even Christian rappers on their albums, there will be songs where they begin to talk about how they work so much harder, they grind so much harder in the studio than every other rapper. What is that? That's pride. It's just humanity's pride coming through saying, look, I'm putting 90 hours a week in the studio, and you're, you're sitting at home eating Fruit Loops. I can't rap, okay, so don't, please don't expect me to, all right? That, you don't want me to. I'm more of a country gospel kind of guy, and that's just, that's just where it's at. When we're in heaven, there's going to be a harmonica and a banjo and a, and a six-string. It's going to be glorious. There's some real grimacing going on right now. Honestly, it's not about the genre because I like all of them. You could go through my phone and you could find... Uh, virtually every genre of Christian music. But if any of you do know of any good Christian country artists, please let me know. All right, see me after service. I'm telling you, there's, I just like that southern twang. That's some good stuff. This is, this is confessions time, okay? Just because an artist releases one song or one album with a hymn or a good song doesn't rubber stamp that entire portfolio of that artist. There's still a spirit behind it. I'm going to date myself a little bit. Anybody remember the band Creed? A couple of thumbs, a couple of head nods. What was their, their first breakout big hit? Anybody? Who said it? Somebody said it. Go ahead and say it nice and loud. Higher, right, yeah. Can you take me higher? To a place with golden streets. Oh, man, golden streets. They're talking about heaven. Let's go there. It's in the sun. Yeah, I want to go to heaven. 
And if you just listen to that, you're like, man, this is incredible. This is like a Christian band. Their, their eyes are being open to God until you watch the music video and you take a look at the people and you're like, oh, okay. You've got mostly naked women dancing around in a, a music video. There's a spirit behind it. Now, if we need to, we could sing a selection of the song if, if you need like a, I, I happen to have been blessed with a wonderful creed voice, uh, and someday we'll break that out for the worship team, but uh, it'll be exciting. Music is a medium to transmit whatever spirit it was recorded or performed with. Again, just like you can feel the Holy Ghost while listening to a powerful Christian song, you can feel a dark presence when you're listening to a worldly song. Well, all right. There are some songs that I'm just not going to listen to. There are some podcasts that I'm just not going to listen to, even if the artist is a Christian. Why? Why would I limit? Because there's a check in the spirit. Because when I listen to the song or I start listening to it, something doesn't jive with the Holy Ghost inside of me. And maybe I don't even fully know why. Maybe I don't even fully understand. But there's just something that's off. Anybody ever have that experience? There's just something. It ain't quite right. That's the Holy Ghost inside of you leading you, guiding you, directing you. It's not a value statement. It's not you saying that you're better than them. Or your brother, your sister may not have that same conviction that you do. And they may have liberty to watch that. But for you... If the Spirit begins to speak it to you, then listen to that still small voice of the Spirit and allow Him to lead you and to guide you. We go back to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 when Paul says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. They're contrary, the one to the other. We have to, in this world that we live in, walk in the Spirit daily. I can't walk in the Spirit enough to guide your life. I cannot do it. I must shepherd, I must guide the congregation, I must, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and in accordance with the Word of God, set some guardrails and some boundaries for us as a body, but I can't be there with you all the time, and you don't want me there with you all the time, all right? An hour and a half on Wednesday night is plenty for one Wednesday, okay? You're going to get tired of me being there with you all the time, but if you'll Gird up the loins of your mind and you'll be intentional and you'll pursue after holiness and you'll make a diligent effort to walk in the Spirit every day. The Spirit of God living inside of you will begin to speak to you and all of a sudden something will come across your phone screen and a still small voice inside of you will say, eh, you probably shouldn't be looking at that. And so you'll shut it down or a song will come on to the radio and that voice inside will be like, no, I don't like that song, and so you'll shut it down. Why? Because you want your life to be pleasing to God. You can ignore that voice. And you, you could ask the question, can I, can I listen to this and still go to heaven? Quite possibly. 
That's not what we're here to judge. That's not what we're here to gauge, though. The, the, the end result, yes, we want to go to heaven, but I don't want to just get there by the skin of my teeth. This is far too important for me to take chances about. The real question has to be, is this pleasing to Jesus? What I'm listening to, what I'm setting in front of my eyes, what I'm watching right now, what's taking up all of my time right now, the medium of information that's being channeled to my heart right now, is this grieving the Spirit of God inside of me, or is it pleasing to Him? There are some things that promote wholesome values without being overtly spiritual. All right? There, there are songs that don't talk about God at all, but still promote wholesome values. Does that make sense? Nursery rhymes, children's songs, songs about goodness, courage. Now, you can get into the trap of love songs. Actually, I... I was listening to a, a fellow minister in this movement. He, was, uh, he, he mentioned love songs, and it cracked me up. He began to sing. Um, oh, heavens, who's the artist? Who sings I Will Always Love You? Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. Great love song, right? And I. But he, he made a point that I didn't realize. That song was written to somebody that she was leaving. The, the, the relationship was over. She was saying, bye, I'll always love you, but bye. Remember, there's a spirit behind it. There's always a spirit behind it. And if it doesn't agree with the spirit of God inside of you, don't allow it to come through your eyes. Don't allow it to come through your ears. Allow the voice of God to guide you. All right, are you ready for the test? Here's the test. Does Scripture prohibit this? <laughs> it's a great first question. Look, if there's, if there's clear scriptural prohibition against it, there are no more questions. We either align with the Word of God or we perish. Maybe that's unduly harsh, but there, there, there really is no black or white. If God took the time to write it in His Word and say, don't do this, we're not going to do it and then be like, I didn't know. Is it stirring temptation inside of me? Is it causing me to lust? Is it causing me to, to dream about being a gangbanger and, and selling drugs and engaging in violence? Is my conscience convicted? What is this glorifying? This music that I'm listening to, this, this podcast that I'm listening to, this audio book that I'm listening to, what is it glorifying? It could be consumerism. It could be unthankfulness. Again, it doesn't always have to just be violence or sexual lust. And again, the final question is always, is what I'm listening to pleasing to Jesus Christ? All right, three quick portions of Scripture, and we're going to wrap up tonight. Philippians 4 and 8, reading now from the New Living Translation, says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. It is very hard, if not impossible, 
for your humanity to think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise when it's only being fed filth and garbage. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. I understand the argument of Christian liberty. I, I believe in it. But again, what is it glorifying and is it edifying me? Just because it's lawful doesn't make it expedient. Just because it's allowable doesn't mean that it's good for me. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 6 is the final portion of Scripture, and I'm going to close. Peter is writing about judgment of God being poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Uh, just Lot doesn't mean only Lot. It means Lot was just. He was right in the eyes of God. Uh, as, as much as we like to, to uh, rag on Lot, the basis of Abraham's intercession was the righteousness of Lot. He said, will you spare the city for X number of righteous and God spared Lot because, reading in verse, if you think I'm stretching it too much, verse 8 says this, for that righteous man dwelling among them, maybe that challenges our perception of Lot a little bit, but Scripture calls Lot a righteous man, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing. Everybody say seeing and hearing. He vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot did not have to live where he lived. If you need an example of what is set before your eyes becoming a major influence in your life, look no further than the story of Lot. First, Scripture tells us that he pitches his tent towards Sodom. Then Scripture tells us a couple chapters later that he lives in Sodom and he's captured with all of the people of Sodom. And finally, by the time the angels arrive in Sodom, Lot is a ruler of the city. And he vexed his soul by what he saw and what he heard. And that is the state of so many among us today. And when it came time for Lot to separate himself from wickedness, to separate himself from the vileness of his society, it was only the mercy of God that was able to remove him from that place. Lot was so attached to the filth of his surroundings that the angels had to lay hands on him and physically take him out of the city. God help us if we ever get so filled with the, the voice and the message and the channel of this world that we have to have God grab a hold of us and remove us from it. But if we have a desire in our heart, if we have a hunger in our heart to be holy and to be right with him, we can begin to separate ourselves from the influences of this world. This world is wild enough, but my mind 
and my home will be a sanctuary from the influence and from the effects of this world. As long as I am able, my children will be guarded from the voices of this world. As much as I am able, my heart will be guarded from the influences of this society. Why? Because I want my ears and I want my eyes to be attuned towards a heavenly calling. I want to be locked in with my ears attuned to the voice of God. I don't want my eyes to be so engaged in whatever's going on on my phone that I can't see the spiritual realm. But I want to be like him. I want my heart to be pure. I want my mind to be pure. And so I am going to do what the psalmist said. I'm going to set no wicked thing before mine eye. Why? Because Jesus called me to be like him. He called me to come up to where he is and get out from among this world and get out from the filth and the chaos of this world and be pure and be holy like he is. If you've got that desire in your heart tonight, why don't we stand? Why don't we lift our hands as we close and let's ask God to help us to sever the influences of this world from our eyes, to sever the influences of this world from our hearts.